This is episode 299, where we're chatting about carnivore, something I'll never personally do. I'm just kidding. Well, no, I'm really not kidding. I really have zero interest in eating meat every day for the rest of my life or even for 30 days. Now, I did try carnivore probably about two years ago now. I lasted six days and it was the worst experience of my life. I like plants, but you know, our guest today doesn't or (laughs) really likes liver more than I could ever. But we're going to be talking about why somebody would even want to do carnivore, who should be doing it, who should not be doing it, why our guest today, Austin Cavelli, switched over to carnivore, how long she's been doing it, why the sorts of success that she's seen both in herself and her clients, what we eat on carnivore. Now, there's a lot of misconception about what carnivore is, how it's followed, all those things are really going to be breaking it down. And then I ask some questions as many of you have questions about like, what happens to the microbiome? What do we do with hair loss? How about constipation? What about hormones? Do you get sick of eating all this meat? (laughs) How do you get enough vitamin C? Does food quality matter? All those nitty gritty questions. So our guest today is Austin Cavelli, who's a nationally certified physician assistant and dietary consultant who has treated thousands of patients with acute and chronic inflammatory diseases, including various autoimmune conditions. She is well-versed in low-carb and ketogenic diets, especially the carnivore diet. She helps people all over the world reduce inflammation, lose weight, and improve their health. She holds a master's in medical sciences from Cornell and focuses her approach on food quality and bioindividuality. This means taking one's health to the next level with a personalized approach for sustainability, as well as laboratory analysis tailored to the patient's specific nutritional needs and health goals. Now, I'm going to include all of Austin's links below, including her website, qualitycarnivore.com, and she's known as Quality Carnivore on Instagram, Facebook, and also has a YouTube channel. So I will include all those links in the show notes today. If you're unsure how to access the show notes, you can always go to ketodietpodcast.com and just look for the show notes for episode 299. If you have questions about today's content, you can head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me. Okay, let's do this thing. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel, and you're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've put together a free 21-page guide on achieving weight loss on your keto diet if nothing is working as a little thank you for being here today. Grab your free guide at ketoforwomen.com to get the steps you need to overcome the hurdles standing in your way. Hey, Austin, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so good. Thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here on here and and discuss all things keto, carnivore. Uh, It should be fun. Yeah. Okay. So you just said carnivore. And for those of you who may not be familiar with what carnivore is, I thought maybe you could start off by just explaining what carnivore is and how it's different from the ketogenic diet. Absolutely. So a carnivore diet is an animal-based approach and it is just eating animal products. So all meat, eggs, so that includes poultry, that includes seafood, uh, and kind of approaching it from a nose to tail, uh, including all parts of the animal. So organ meats as well. And how does that differ? Like, are we still in keto while we're eating carnivore or not? 
So technically, because it is very trace amounts of carbs, it's essentially many people refer to it as a zero carb diet. It is a ketogenic state. That being said, it is it does tend to be higher amounts of protein than a more standard ketogenic diet. So the ratios are not necessarily, you know, 70% fat or 70 to 80% fat and 30 protein. That protein can be higher. Some people even go as high as uh, more of like a 50 to 50 ratio. So it depends really on how you feel best, whether you want to continue with ketogenic ratios of more that 70 to 30 versus 60 to 40 versus 50 to 50. But technically, because it is zero carb, your body will still be in and out of ketosis. So when I first started the ketogenic diet and my protein macro, I think at the time was 20%. And I found that when I went over that, and now I'm talking as a beginner, when I went over that, I kicked myself out of ketosis. Why? Like, how am I able to stay in ketosis on a carnivore diet? But when I increase my protein macro on a ketogenic diet, it kicks me out of ketosis. Yeah, so it really depends person to person. There is a concern, which if anybody looks kind of into the carnivore space, it's finding the big question is what is that number for each individual as far as that um, that limit of protein and what is going to cause gluconeogenesis, meaning you're using more of your protein as your fuel source versus using the fat sources. So I find that most clients, they really do feel better with higher fat. And when they do test the limits, like you said, of that higher protein going from even 15 to 20%, um, if they don't, their energy levels suffer a little bit. So it really, in terms of what how um, people react and whether or not they're still in ketosis, that really varies from person to person, but it shouldn't be feared. Protein definitely should not be feared on a carnivore diet because that is where you are getting kind of the bulk of your um, nutrients. So while we want to keep the, the fat higher to, you know, if you want to stay in that ketogenic state, it's really important that you're ma- making sure that you're getting enough nutrients in general because it is so limited in the sense of the types of foods that you're eating as far as variety. Mm. Now, before you mentioned that certain types of meats contribute carbs to this eating Mm -hmm. style, could you talk a little bit about that and how that works? Yeah, so there are trace carbohydrates um, in eggs even, but for the majority, um, if you are going to get, and again, this is going to be if you did a total, even if you ate organ meats every day, there are trace amounts in um, the organ meats, some of them more than others, but it's still, it would keep you less than 20 grams of carbs a day easily, probably even less than 10. And, you know, if you're doing three, four ounces of organ meats a day, which is generally what we'll recommend, you really, you don't even have to do three to four ounces every day. You could do that every other day, uh, generally 16 ounces per week. So again, um, you are getting trace amount of carbs. It's not truly zero carb, but the organ meats are the, the products that are going to have those trace carbs in them and eggs. And so are those also the ones that the animal sources that you really rely on for nutrients or like, where did the nutrients come into it all? Like, yes. Of course. (laughs) Absolutely. So it's really, really important, of course, to be eating enough 
um, to make sure that you're getting nutrients, but also eating nose to tail um, is something that I, I very strongly recommend. And that is including those organ meats. They have a very wide spectrum of vitamins and minerals as compared to muscle meat alone. So even if you were to just choose one, I would say to start with beef liver. That is the most nutrient dense food on the planet per calorie. That is a fact. So if you, you know, even if you aren't into eating brain or heart um, or kidney, these are, these are things it's really fun to experiment with. But if you were just to choose one, the, the best bang for your buck is going to be beef liver. I've been on an iron boosting kick. About six months ago, I discovered my iron levels were dangerously low. Why? Well, because I like plants and I eat a lot of plants on my ketogenic diet. And when you do not combine vitamin C with plant-based iron foods, the iron cannot be absorbed. Now, vitamin C-based foods are kind of lacking in the ketogenic diet. It's not impossible to get enough, but it is a challenge. So I started supplementing with Paleo Valley Essential C, and in just three short months, I doubled my iron level. Extreme fatigue, weakness, fluttering heartbeat or shortness of breath, headache, dizziness or lightheadedness, cold hands and feet, inflammation of the tongue, brittle nails. These are all symptoms of low iron, and I had all of them. Sitting on the lower end of normal iron levels can deliver some of these symptoms and it's very unpleasant let me tell you coupled with the immune boosting component of vitamin c you really can't go wrong with this one-two punch in your ketogenic diet and why paleo valley essential c it's third-party lab tested as the most powerful 100 natural vitamin c product on the market today it contains not one but three of the most concentrated natural sources of vitamin c amla berry, camu camu berry, and unripe aceola cherry, the most potent source of natural vitamin C on earth, which is 120 times higher than that found in an orange. Each nutrient-packed serving delivers 750% your RDI of vitamin C, an amount meant to help you thrive, not just survive. Most other vitamin C supplements are derived from GMO corn and only contain one fraction of the vitamin, ascorbic acid. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains the entire spectrum with absolutely no synthetic vitamin C, just organic superfoods. Makes a huge difference. Head on over to paleovalley.com com load up grab a couple of bottles of vitamin c complex whatever else that catches your eye the superfood bars are amazing if you need a recommendation then enter the code keto at checkout to receive 15 percent off your first order again that's paleovalley.com and the code keto for 15 percent off your first order and so the liver is a detoxifying organ and I'm just imagining people like going to the grocery store and picking up some liver and cutting it up and eating it. Should we care about quality when it comes to the organ meat, specifically liver that we're eating? Yeah, so I, um, it's a, a big misconception that because your liver detoxifies, that it itself is holding in the toxins, but that is not true. Um, liver is that is is not true of the of the organ itself in the sense of you eating it, consuming it, but in 
terms of quality of liver, I always recommend grass-fed, grass-finished if you can get it. The good thing about the organ meats though, so if you are getting it from a grain-fed source, that they're very lean. Uh, So when you consider like muscle meat, eating grain-fed meats, that those toxins that are from the grains of that, um, from what the animal ate, actually deposit in the fat. So with organ meats, I'm less worried because they are leaner, particularly um, the liver. So if it is a grain-fed liver, not not a huge deal. Um, of course, get what you can afford, get what you can find. Local sources are always best, and those that's also where you can kind of ask those questions versus getting it at a supermarket. Um, I find that it's easy to get chicken livers at a supermarket, and they're usually just denoted as kind of organic. Uh, I think it's Mary's organic chicken livers are pretty easy to find, like at Whole Foods. Beef liver is a little bit harder to find. So again, I would I always recommend going to eatwild.com. You can put your in your zip code and find local sources uh, and ask those questions of whether it's grass-fed, grass-finished. But anything, you know, doing liver just in general, um, you're one step up for sure. I don't know about eatwild.com. I'll have to check that out. That's great. Yeah. It's great. So it, it'll provide local sources, whether it's um, whether you're looking for chicken, beef, e- even vegetables are on there. Um, and it's, I believe it's the U.S. and then Canada. They have uh, both. So you can Oh, search. great. Okay. Okay. Another one of the questions, and these are, maybe we'll get into like more technical things, but you know, when I say carnivore, people are talking about the liver, they're talking about the quality. Another one is inflammation. You know, you see studies um, that say that meat is inflammatory and the keto folk are sort of like, yeah, like I eat meat. I feel pretty good. I'm testing my levels, but is eating that much meat inflammatory or what's the deal with inflammation and meat consumption? So it is actually the most anti-inflammatory approach out there because you're completely eliminating um, the phytochemicals from plant sources. So with regard to inflammation, I have um, seen incredible results in even short periods of time, just a couple of weeks, as far as inflammation, uh, inflammatory markers that we look at in the blood, um, the highly sensitive C-reactive protein, HSCRP, uh, ESR, Ferritin is another one, um, which is, it looks uh, at iron as well as your inflammation, but you do have to take it in context in the sense of taking a look at your HSCRP and your ESR lab values and your ferritin, because ferritin alone can be high on a carnivore diet just because of the amount of iron that you are consuming. But yes, it is a very completely anti-inflammatory approach to diet. And for that reason, many people use it as an elimination approach, particularly those who are diagnosed with autoimmune conditions, um, diagnosed with cancer, you know, chronic diseases, diabetes, heart conditions, stroke. There are underlying, even people who, who don't necessarily have a diagnosis, but they want to prevent inflammation and, you know, the contribution of inflammation to insulin resistance and later to chronic disease. So I have a range of clients where it's preventative to, you know, multiple autoimmune conditions. uh, And I've seen amazing results. Since we're on that path of who it's good for, who it's not, and then I want to get back to the ferritin and the phytochemicals and things. If somebody has a goal of weight loss, is getting on the carnivore diet a good call or how does weight loss contribute to all of this? So many people um, do start the carnivore diet for weight loss. I 
do want to just warn people that, yes, if you're coming from a standard American diet, you'll see that kind of rush of weight loss um, because uh, you're losing, again, it's anti-inflammatory. You see that initial water weight loss coming from more of a um, low carb diet to a carnivore diet. You don't see that as much. Um, And also depending on where you started baseline in the sense of your overall health, it takes time for your hormones to regulate on a carnivore diet. So the, the initial going onto it just for weight loss, I do not recommend. And the reason for that is because people will just get very frustrated. It is an approach that heals from the inside out. So initially, you will probably gain weight um, because we, if you know, as long as you're eating normally as you would, you're not restricting, you're eating until satisfied, uh, you are eating more nutrient dense and more calorie dense foods with the meat uh, and the amounts of fat and protein. So initially people gain weight and then once their hormones are regulated with the higher amounts of fat that they're getting, because it's very important to eat enough fat with carnivore, not only for calories, but also for hormone regulation as these are the backbone of our hormones. So once those hormones are regulated, then the weight will come off, but it does take time and people very often get frustrated that it's not sooner than later. Yeah. And so with hormones, are you speaking about estrogen, progesterone specifically, perhaps testosterone also, or what have you seen? Yeah, absolutely. All across, all across the board, but even um, specifically with uh, women, their hormones being more estrogen dominant, kind of dialing into that. Uh, the thyroid can, we have seen levels of, of thyroid where your T3 level will be a little bit lowered on a carnivore diet. However, everything else remains pretty much the same as far as being in that normal range. So it'll downregulate initially, but then it usually goes back to normal. But as far as hormones and cortisol, those particularly if you're restricting how much you're eating, um, if you're still drinking a lot of uh, even a daily coffee, that can play a toll on hormone levels and, and your cortisol, morning cortisol and blood glucose levels. So all of these things, it's it's really important to, again, kind of eat as, you know, not tracking, not restricting, and just letting your body tell you, like if you, I remember when I first started, I was eating three and four pounds of meat at a time. Um, so I obviously had a, had a place where I needed to heal inside and I did initially gain weight, uh, but it's, it's been no problem since then. So mm. it does, it does take time to regulate these hormones. And are there certain women specifically that maybe because of hormone irregularity shouldn't go on the carnivore diet or what are your thoughts on that? So I think that um, as an elimination approach, if anybody's struggling, particularly with digestive issues, I think it is a a good approach all around to try. It's really a matter of should you be on it long term is is the question and how you do with it after, say, a six-week trial of it. So I think that is definitely more of an individual basis. And okay, you mentioned the trial versus long term. I think, you know, you see, you can go on YouTube and type in carnivore and it'll be like, I did carnivore for 30 days and I did carnivore for two weeks. At what point, like, what's the effective time and what are you hoping for? Like, what's the experience that you hope to achieve 
on your carnivore diet and are you staying on here long term? I guess it's case by case, but can you kind of right. give some idea? Because I think, you know, you can equally go on Instagram and see people that have been doing carnivore for five years. And you're like, right. is that necessary? Like, how am I never yeah. going to eat a sweet potato ever, ever, ever again? <laughs> right. No, for sure. Some people, you know, that it's more just a matter of they like variety in their diet and that's totally okay. Other people it is, I have an autoimmune condition and I need to heal. So the people with, um, you know, who just want to try it, I'd say maybe the 30 day trial or the six week trial, go for it. Um, see as even uh, people with digestive issues saying that they've noticed more bloating or their sleep um, has been altered. You know, if there's, there's a specific symptom where you want to dial in a little bit more, you're on a ketogenic diet, carnivore would be the next way to, to take it one step further to see if it's something specific in your diet as far as eliminating plant sources and then reintroducing them one at a time. It's a good, um, in that sense of four week or six week, I would call that more of a reset in the sense of th more like three, six months, that would be a minimum in my mind for people with autoimmune conditions, more chronic conditions to really kind of allow their body to heal more long-term. And even then, like three, three months is a very short time. I'm not sure that you'll see everything completely healed in three months. It could take up to a full year even for depending on the autoimmune condition and, and what you're struggling with. So in terms of long-term being on carnivore for years and years and years, people tend to feel better on it. And it's totally a personal choice. Do you need to be on it for years and years and years? No. But if you like how it makes you feel and you like, you know, the, your day-to-day, -day, your energy's maintained, maintained your overall, you know, you're still having, as a woman, you're still having your periods, you are eating enough, uh, and you wanted to continue it for years. Do we have research on you know the carnivores that are that are ten years out? No, but even that's can even be said with uh, a low carb diet. You know we're we're still finding that information out. So uh, we don't know the exact answers. But again, we we're basing it more on anecdotal data as far as how you feel. So how long you want to carry it out is totally up to you. I've been pretty vocal about my choice to stop using ButcherBox and switch to Belcampo, and these sorts of bold statements get me into conflict, but it's totally worth it. I take my job really seriously, and I never want to recommend something that's lost its luster and has you purchasing and trusting in the wrong thing. So Belcampo has their meats independently tested for purity and nutritional data, and on a quarterly basis, they post the results directly on their website so you can check it out. This quarter's results are in and they are astounding. Belcampo grass-fed beef averages a 1 to 1.2 omega-3 to 6 ratio, while conventional beef has an omega-3 to 6 ratio of a 1 to 30. 30 of omega-6. And... Not all 100% grass-fed beef is created equally. They've tested beef from others with the grass-fed quote-unquote label and found ratios averaging 1 to 12 of omega-3 to 6. Now, this just tells us how inflammatory these meats are. The lower the omega-6, the better. So Belcampo's grass-fed beef averaging 1 to 1.2 omega-3 to 6 ratio is incredible.
Their beef has the same ratio of omega-3 to 6 as wild game meat. Ah, this is totally rare in the business where brands slap on the grass-fed label and don't stand behind the quality, but they sure charge you for it. Belcampo pasture-raised pork has 25 times the amount of omega-3s of conventional pork and a ratio of 2 to 1 of saturated to unsaturated fat. Belcampo's pasture-raised chicken has 20% higher protein per serving. The list goes on and on and on and on. I'm so thankful for Belcampo, their true commitment to quality, and for the 20% discount they've offered to all of us so that we can give them a try and fall in love with them just like I have. Oh my word. Get 20% off with the code KDP on your first purchase, excluding sale items over at bellcampo.com slash KDP. Again, that's code KDP for 20% off when you go to bellcampo.com slash KDP. And I know that there are a lot of women in our community that are either working to become pregnant or they're pregnant right now. What are your kind of feelings on pregnancy with carnivore and how to make that work? If, Absolutely. If at all? Uh, it's a great question. I actually recently was um, speaking uh, with Dr. Kiltz. So Dr. Rob Kiltz is a fertility specialist in New York, actually from the area that I'm from. He's very well known. Um, CNY Fertility is his website. So definitely check him out. Out, very knowledgeable um, doctor, and he actually recommends what he calls the baby diet, which is B-E-B-B-I. So it's bacon, eggs, beef, butter, and ice cream, and he makes a carnivore-style ice cream with heavy cream um, and raw milk uh, and tallow, I believe, uh, but he has a video on how to make it, and he recommends this for all of his patients who are looking to you know, have a baby is or doing IVF, um, even for those who don't necessarily need to do IVF, but um, have a condition where they want to reduce inflammation. So he has, you know, very, very commonly recommends keto and then this baby diet for even those who are continuing to struggle, even on low carb. So I definitely recommend it. Um, as an anti-inflammatory approach. And it's, I've seen amazing results for fertility. No, by no means do I, I recommend, um, you know, that you absolutely have to have carbs for fertility. And if somebody, you know, ends up getting pregnant, they're doing the, all the ice cream and all the things, and that's yep. really fun. I wish I could eat dairy. Um, <laughs> sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> And um, so then they get pregnant. Can they continue to be carnivore? Like, have you seen people, women, I guess, continue to be carnivore during their pregnancy also? Yeah. So I have seen um, people who have been carnivore throughout their entire pregnancy. One of the big concerns is getting enough folate for prevention of uh, neural tube defects for uh, in, in their child. And so that is something that you would need, again, to incorporate a nose-to-tail approach. The folate is highest in your organ meats. I think nose-to-tail is very important for women uh, who are pregnant. They do not, you know, you don't, so it's safe to be carnivore throughout your pregnancy. Um, do you have to remain carnivore after? Not necessarily. But again, I think it's it's even going keto for your pregnancy. I think the benefits that we're seeing is that it's lower carb and that it is anti-inflammatory. So do you have to be carnivore 
Absolutely not. But I think taking an anti-inflammatory approach with cutting out the seed oils, the vegetable oils, um, the refined sugar, uh, I think that is most important to start by by far. So earlier you mentioned ferritin. Can we chat a little bit about the, that for people that are low in ferritin? Do you feel like a carnivore diet could be helpful? Because I know I have a lot of people, including myself, um, who have low ferritin levels. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people in my community ask me about this also. Absolutely. So I think incorporating more red meat is is definitely a way to start. And also uh, the organ meats are very, very high in iron. So getting those, the most rich one I believe is spleen. I don't, don't quote me on that, but spleen is definitely high in iron. It is also a difficult organ to eat though, in the sense of texture, uh, because it does have a membrane on it. So people who are, have iron deficient anemia, I will often recommend that they, they try spleen, but really you can't go wrong with any of the organ meats. They're all pretty high in iron. So that will be helpful for um, ferritin levels in addition to just eating more steak. And so a couple people might be thinking, well, I can get iron from spinach. Yes. So what's so, the difference? <laughs> that is go through that? Common, yes, a very common question. Um, in fact, my uh, sister recently, she um, had a baby and they said, yeah, you're low in iron. And she, that's exactly what she did was go and buy bushels and bushels of, of spinach. The one thing that I, you know, obviously have concerns for with high, with high amounts of spinach or oxalates. But in the sense of speaking about iron, iron, the availability of the iron is what we have to focus on in spinach versus red meat. And so the bioavailability of the nutrient is definitely lower in spinach. I believe, I'm not sure the exact, there's a, there's a diagram about it. And I believe it's in, it was in the carnivore code uh, Dr. Saladino had, had put it in his book as well, uh, as far as the how many cups of spinach that you would need in order to equal, you know, a three ounce portion of meat. And it was a pretty significant amount. Uh, so again, it's the bioavailability of that iron that is lower in spinach as compared to the meat. And whether or not it's heme iron or non-heme iron, that's another, another factor. Um, so the iron the type of iron is different in a plant source versus in uh, an animal source. And less available, then you got to match it with the vitamin C and it's still exactly. not as good in the whole song. Yeah, there, is, there is another study um, to make a point of it is also, you know, what you're eating these meats uh, or what you're eating these foods with um, will affect the, the availability and how much you actually absorb. So I believe Judy... Cho had put this in, on her Instagram. She's a nutritionist and um, has some great resources. She's coming out with the book soon, um, The Carnivore Cure. So it was zinc in oysters that she was uh, that was looked at, and it was that it was not if you had the the oysters by themselves versus having them in combination with corn tortillas or having them in combination with beans the amount that you absorbed of that zinc was significantly less with the, the beans and the, the corn tortilla. So another example of just, yes, you could be eating it, but you, your body may not actually be absorbing it in total. I'm glad that you brought up oysters. So I had a serum test of 
selenium three months ago and I bought six cans of oysters and I ate them in three months. Yeah. <laughs> I just picked away at it and now my selenium level's perfect. Before it was very, very low. And yeah. so just that little, like that little change, you know, um, and I'd been trying to increase it for years with a supplement, did nothing. Yeah. You know, so those little things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Zinc and selenium are uh, oysters are a great source. The organ needs the same thing. Um, they have high amounts of selenium as well. Uh, and yeah, so I, you know, there is a very dogmatic approach to carnivore, uh, and especially just how it can seem in the social media space as far as just eat meat. But it really is important to incorporate, even if you just do seafood once a week or a couple times a month, you know, to, to incorporate different sources so that you're making sure that you're kind of covering your bases as far as nutrients. Just eating steaks all day, every day is not something that I'm a, a huge fan of. I, th I think it's important to, like you said, do oysters once in a while, or um, if you're, you, you know, a, a big concern is that, oh, chicken and pork, it's not as satiating, or there's concerns for the linoleic acid and the fact that they are still being fed grains or and or soy because they do require a feed, a supplemental feed versus just eating beef. But, you know, eating those things once in a while to cut, to cut out an entire animal source even, you know, on a, on a diet that's already pretty restrictive, I think having those, that variety, um, you are going to be getting a little bit different nutrient profile um, from chicken versus beef. And once in a while, it's not going to hurt you by any means. Did you always love the nose to tail approach? Because I mean, I, I will eat just about anything. It took me a little while to get comfortable with liver only because it was like I was vegan and to eat the liver of another yeah. animal was just disgusting. But I, I enjoy the taste, but I know that there are a lot of people that are hearing this and they're like, sorry, what do you want me to do with what? Right. Did you <laughs> always love this or do you have tricks on how to make it not taste like liver or not right. taste like spleen or... <laughs> Totally. So I, I think it is, it's a big mental struggle for sure. Uh, especially if you didn't grow up eating organ meats. I went over, so I had gone over to Italy. Uh, it's been almost two years now, but organ meats are very, in Europe, they're, they're on the menu anywhere you go. So of course I tried them and I loved them. Um, again, taste was never an issue for me. A lot of times I think it's more the texture than anything. Um, so first it's wrapping your head around the fact that it is an organ. And once you get past that and you realize that it is very nutrient dense, I think, you know, then it's a matter of, of dealing with the taste and the texture. So as far as texture, I personally like to eat most everything raw, but that's not always the, you know, number one thing for, for everyone else. So I would recommend first uh, starting to put it, to freeze it and put it in little like one ounce, cut it into one ounce portions, one to two ounces, and take it frozen, swallowing it like a pill to get it in. That will also uh, take away from the taste. When it is frozen, you're not tasting it as much. If you want to experiment more with incorporating into your meals, the best first option I think would be to put it into ground meat. And usually 10% um, you know, if you have uh, a pound of meat, like just 10% adding uh, of liver or heart um, is most common, you will not, you will barely taste it. And then you can make it into your burger patty or your meatballs or however you, you like to do the ground meat. 
other options is really just playing with the different textures in how it's cooked. So I like to, I have taken upon myself to help clients um, figure out what is, what is the texture that they like. Um, if they don't want to do it raw, is baked better for them? Is, you know, pan searing it better? And different organs kind of, they are, they'll get more rubbery if you pan sear it versus if you bake it, it'll kind of keep that tenderness to it. So baked kidney, I think kidney is, ba is best baked. That's one of my, my recommendations for that. Liver, um, a quick pan sear, keeping it more raw on the inside makes it less um, tough and less uh, that kind of chewy texture that people recognize with liver. Heart is very easily, um, if you grill it or pan sear it for just a couple seconds, but grilling it is definitely best. And it tastes, you know, it is a muscle, so it, it tastes like a steak. Heart is the most mild. So if you're really, really struggling with the liver, with the kidney, start with um, beef heart. I think that would be a, a great place to start. I've not had beef heart and I have four in my freezer. And I was thinking tonight would be a great night after yes. we record to have some very beef heart. Very appropriate. <laughs> Definitely. If you have a grill or again, very lightly pan searing, I'm talking like seconds because it, because of that, you know, similar to a steak, if it's, if it's too long, it gets tough. And did I hear you say that you eat these things raw? Is that what you were saying? Okay, great. You're I hardcore. <laughs> yes. No, I know. And it's really, um, so liver to me, when I cook it, it tastes, some people can say, oh, you know, it tastes uh, like metallic. And I think it's because of the, when you heat the the minerals that are in it, it, it does, it has that metallic taste. So for me, I think liver tastes sweeter when it is raw. When it's grass-fed, grass-finished, and raw, it, it has a sweet taste to it. It may just be my taste buds, but I think there are a couple other people in this world that would agree. So I don't recommend cooking liver that long because of that metallic taste that people will complain about. The other thing is um, soaking it. That can be helpful for that metallic taste. So whether you soak it even in just salt water or if you soak it in milk, that's another consideration for that metallic taste. But yeah, I do. I do enjoy them raw, especially summertime. Um, you know, I, I'm not opposed to cooking it, but um, it just depends on kind of the temperature outside. And I'm in I'm in San Diego, so it's 75 and sunny year round. So I'm I will generally go more raw. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> Hashtag life goals. <laughs> Maybe one day. Okay. So we've chatted a lot about meat. I'd love to switch gears a little bit. You yeah. talked about um, oxalates and phytochemicals in plants. Like I mentioned spinach and you're like, Ooh, oxalates. Can we just talk yeah. about like, why, why plants? Why are plants causing this inflammation when we have autoimmune conditions? Why is it that carnivore is perhaps a great option for people? Like, why plants? What's so bad right. about them? I totally agree that some people can tolerate plants and they're they're fine. But yeah, when you have people who have autoimmune conditions or they have these chronic um, diseases, it is important to consider you know the plant sources as well. You know, for example, people who have arthritis uh, and they're incorporating a lot of plants because that they were told that eating less meat again, more plants, uh, white rice or lean, you know lean meat like chicken, that's your that's your healthy option. But you do have to consider what is in plants. So phytochemicals or anti-nutrients, you know, they vary depending on, on the type of plant. But essentially the plants have evolved, which 
they're very smart in creating these chemicals so that they are not eaten um, by humans um, or by you know animals. So spinach, for example, like we talked about oxalates for someone who has arthritis and they're eating a very high uh, a diet high in in plants or in vegetables, um, that is a consideration because oxalates are basically these kind of crystallized structures in the plants that get deposited in throughout the body and in uh, the joints particularly that you can see an increase in joint pain. So it has an inflammatory effect and it's something that we need to kind of eliminate. So with the carnivore diet, that's important to to again, kind of dial in and see, well, is, you know, to what degree is this the arthritis or is it something that we can improve as far as inflammation with the diet and, and removing those high oxalate sources? I tried a carnivore diet and I lasted, I don't know, maybe, I think it was like six days because <laughs> all, all I could think about was having strawberries. Like I love plants. I love eating plants. I feel good when I eat plants. I just mm -hmm. love plants and also meat, but is it kind of an all or nothing thing or kind of where, where do we find the balance in all of this of right. like, can I do carnivore for a couple of days? Is it normal to feel all I want is strawberries a couple days in? Like, can you just walk us through that experience? Yeah. So I think for, again, it depends on the person for someone who really needs to dial in and, um, you know, uh, like an autoimmune condition, I think using it as an elimination approach and sustaining it for for weeks or, or months to just cut back on inflammation in, in general is really important. But for those who, you know, want more, want to have a little bit more balance and want to have a little bit more variety, incorporating plants is not, is not a bad thing. I think it's most important to focus again on sourcing, um, which is kind of why I've gone with, with quality carnivore as my, uh, my business, because I think quality, no matter what food you put in your body, it should be the best quality that you can afford, the best quality you can get your hands on. So with that, making sure that if you are going to incorporate plants or you kind of cycle in and out, um, whether it's with the seasons or just, you know, some days are more meat heavy versus other days you are just feeling like having a salad. That's totally okay. It's just a matter of making sure that, you know, you're getting it organic that you don't have the pesticides, you don't have the um, antibiotics, you don't have the concern for hormones, um, even your meat, because those are the things that are inflammatory. Again, the even with, with poultry, you're looking for the kind of corn-free, soy-free options um, as far as supplemental feed. But yeah, um, with the plants, there are some that are less toxic than, other, than others in the sense of the, the nutrients. But I also strongly believe even on a carnivore diet, there's certain days where I'm completely craving eggs versus, you know, meat. And there's a reason there's something that's in, I believe that there's something in eggs that, you know, maybe I'm deficient in, in at that time. Uh, so similar to you having this craving for strawberries, maybe it's, you know, that your vitamin C levels were lower that at that time. Uh, so we do have to kind of listen to our bodies and find that balance of what is going to make me feel good, what is it that my body needs, making sure you're getting all of those nutrients and sourcing it from the best possible source. A 
really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. A common question um, that I've heard a couple of times is the concerns around the microbiome and just your overall gut health. You know, a lot of people say in order to have a balanced gut, you need the fiber and that feeds the microbiome. Can we chat a little bit about gut health and the concerns that one might have when looking at the carnivore diet? Yes, absolutely. Um, That has actually was part of the reason I personally went from keto um, to carnivore. I was still struggling um, with some gut issues, particularly chronic constipation. So one of the biggest questions that people are, if it's not about cholesterol and their heart health, it's about pooping. (laughs) So that is such a big concern on a carnivore diet because there is no fiber. It essentially is zero fiber diet. So I have found in myself that actually bowel movements are completely regular now. Um, I've dealt with chronic constipation my entire life, but for other people um, who, you know, that is, that, that's a question. Can your microbiome, will your microbiome, you know, be deficient by not getting those plant sources, not having that roughage, not having that fiber. And that is from studies that we've seen, you do not need fiber in your diet. So that is, that is a false concept in the sense that having zero fiber that your microbiome will suffer. Like I said, I've seen the complete opposite in me. So there isn't a concern for no fiber. That being said, some people, when they do go to a carnivore diet and even people long-term, they do have to kind of find that balance as far as diarrhea. They is very common initially particularly because you are removing that fiber. So the food is moving more quickly through your bowels. uh, And for that reason, because you don't have that fiber, and for that reason, you'll experience diarrhea. Your bowels will get used to this. Um, They will adapt, but it will take several weeks. Joe Rogan actually um, made this very apparent on his podcast when he tried the carnivore diet, that it was, you know, this kind of uncontrollable diarrhea that he was experiencing. Uh, And it is, it's like, um, it will come out like water. So initially that adaptation period, very, very common. And then people will also experience some constipation because um, your body is absorbing all of these nutrients, again, depending on where you're coming from in in terms of health, Uh, but your body is absorbing um, all of these nutrients. uh, And so you have less to produce in the sense of of your bowel movement. So you'll, you'll go less frequently. So that's another common thing initially. Uh, But long-term, you will adapt your microbiome really. Again, we don't have the studies testing long-term. I mean, even even short-term gut studies or with a low-carb diet are very far and few between. So uh, it's, it's something we need more data on. But anecdotally, we haven't seen any problems with the gut. There was a woman that submitted a question for today's episode, and she said that she had been on carnivore for a year, but she's still dealing with bloating, digestive issues, constipation. You don't have all of her facts and all the things. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, you know, she submitted it and she submitted it a couple of times. So I said, I'll, I'll, I'll at least ask Austin if she just knows, yeah. perhaps, are there any tips that you might have for her? So as far as, you know, bloating, she's been on it long term. Yeah, for a year. She said she's been for carnivore year. for a year and she okay. came from a ketogenic diet. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good amount of time and so I wouldn't rec- I wouldn't um 
think that it would be anything as far as adaptation. Sometimes it can be your fat sources. Some people digest fats better than others, and it depends on how that fat is um, introduced to the body, whether it's rendered in liquid form or more solid. So with constipation, sometimes I would, I would expect more, um, more commonly it's, it's diarrhea with rendered fats. To have more constipation, it could just be that um, protein levels are too high and it may not be enough fat. But if you are to incorporate more fat, I would say to start with the more solid forms of the fat because it can go the other way and you can get more diarrhea with the rendered fat. But yeah, bloating, it can be the slow digestion, you know, whether or not she has a gallbladder is a question. People without a gallbladder, by all means, as you know, can do keto. By all means, they can do carnivore as well. But there is um, some people do better by supplementing with like ox bile, um, bile salts. So that's a consideration as well. But yeah, I have seen um, kind of chronic constipation or chronic bloating with people who their protein levels may be too high. So that would be my first thought. And is dairy on a carnivore diet? Like, could people be dealing with dairy issues on carnivore ever? Yeah, absolutely. So that's another concern if she is, um, if that person particularly is con- um, is consuming dairy, that can also con- uh, contribute to that bloating and constipation. But dairy is technically, you know, I hate to say the word allowed, but is incorporated um, on a carnivore diet. I'm personally lactose intolerant, so I don't incorporate it. And some people find it triggering still because it is, it does kind of give you that dopamine hit, that lactose, even a little bit of sugar in it. People can still be sensitive to that. So they'll they'll um, get rid of the dairy, whether it's a weight loss goal or just that they find that it it's triggering and they, you know, once they start cheese, they can't stop. So um, it's a personal choice, but uh, it is an animal product. So it it is technically considered a carnivore. Yes. (laughs) A carnivore, yes. Yes, a carnivore, yes. (laughs) I hate the the yes and no food. I know. know, Really what makes you feel your best, but it it is on the yes list. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Um, And you did mention a little bit of cholesterol. I'd love to kind of pick your brain Um, on both ends of the spectrum. So a lot of our listeners are either concerned about cholesterol being too high and all the concerns, but then there's another group because a lot of women that follow the the Keto Diet Podcast and Healthful Pursuit are coming from a a menorrhea, low hormones, low cholesterol, low triglyceride situation. So I'd love to kind of tackle both um, when it comes to the carnivore diet and whether it matters? Yeah. So personally, uh, as far as the studies that we've seen thus far in low carb um, diets and actually in comparison to low fat diets, everything about cholesterol, as far as cholesterol car- causing heart disease, you know, the the um, Dr. Ansel Keys, that study that was limited, that is a myth. So that is a, a definite myth. And we've seen improvements in HDL with this, these low carb. We haven't, uh, there aren't specific carnivore diet studies, but because again, it is a low carb approach, it's an anti-inflammatory approach and your fat is high as compared to the low fat diets studies that we've seen. When we compare these two groups of people, HDL improves and the HDL, the total to HDL ratio also improves. So cholesterol, we've seen improvements. That being said, 
LDL very commonly will go up in the setting of the ketogenic diet as well as the carnivore diet. And that now, um, and I, I like to tell clients that is a good thing. These are your vehicles to get the fat to the different parts of your body. So if that didn't happen, um, I would be concerned. Um, so I, I want to see that your LDL goes up. Uh, and, you know, I want to see that you're getting off these statins that are just giving you those those numbers and, and potentially other other side effects long-term, you know, this, uh, this increase in LDL is nothing to be feared by any means. Amazing. Wonderful. Austin, where can people find out more from you, perhaps work with you? Tell us all the goods. How do they? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I work with clients one-on-one, uh, really, you know, my, my main focus is diet, whether they're coming from a standard American diet, um, wanting to go more keto versus carnivore, whether it's um, weight loss goals, healing an autoimmune condition, or again, just preventative um, in the sense of anti-inflammatory. But I do like to meet patients where they're at and in their lifestyle, in their diet, and make it a long-term sustainable approach. So I believe it's very bio-individual. Uh, it should not be dogmatic by any means. So if you'd like to work with me, you know, I, I offer uh, formal consults. Uh, also looking if uh, people have gotten lab work and they just want to go over their lab work and have it explained to them because, you know, their their primary care doctor is saying, oh my God, your cholesterol, we need you to put be put on a statin immediately. Uh, that's another service I provide, even Q&A sessions. Um, and so you can find me at qualitycarnivore.com. I have a form on there. Feel free to write in any questions. Um, I'm on Instagram at Quality Carnivore as well as Facebook. I'll be starting a YouTube channel in the near future. I'd really like to get people on hearing about their their particular stories. So even if you have a great story of how a ketogenic approach or a carnivore approach has really changed your life, I want to hear about it. Um, I think sharing these stories and just getting the word out is most important in this space. So yeah, that's all. That's all, all where the they places. can find me, get in touch with me, all the things. Yes. <laughs> I like it. And I will include all those links down below if you're watching this on the YouTube video or in the show notes for the podcast episode. And Austin, thank you again for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I hope I didn't rant on too much. I hope I answered questions. And again, if you have any additional questions, feel free to reach out to me. So I'm dying to know, what do you think about carnivore now? Did you learn something? Are you inspired? If you are going to give it a try, I'd love for you to let me know by either contacting me, healthfulpursuit.com slash contact, or drop me a line on Instagram at Leanne Vogel. I'd just love to know if uh, if you're carnivore, what kind of experiences you've had. I'm so curious over this whole thing. Okay, next up on the podcast, Wednesday, March 3rd, it's episode 300. We're going to be talking about fasting and then Sunday, March 7th, episode 301, we're talking about nootropics and brain function and ADD. So watch for that. And I will see you on Wednesday for our bonus episode, episode 300. I'll see you there. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. 
The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.